The scripture reading this morning will come from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. This is uh, page 1071 in the Pew Bible. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here. What a beautiful day on the inside. It is good to be a part of God's family. It's good to be content. It's good to be people with grateful souls. And that's what we want to think about throughout our life, but especially in our studies, we'll concentrate on that this month. I think about the pilot that flew over the Appalachian Valley and the co-pilot noticed that every time he went over, he continued to look down. And finally, one day he asked him, he says, what interests you so much about that valley? And he said, you see that little stream of water down there? He said, yeah. He said, when I was a little boy, I sat on a log and I fished out of that stream of water. And he said, every day I enjoyed the fishing okay, but what I really wanted to do was I wanted to fly. I would look up at every plane that went over and I would think one day, one day I'm not gonna be here I'm going to be up there flying. And he said, here I am. And now every time I fly over, I look down and think, I wish I could be there fishing. Isn't it interesting how difficult contentment is? And isn't it interesting that you and I will never find a life of contentment separate and apart from God? I'm talking about deep, lasting, consistent, at all times and in all situations, contentment cannot be found separated from God. In just a moment, we'll begin a study that will go throughout this evening of this wonderful topic of contentment that is found from God. I want to remind you that today is the day that it's just a good day. It's a day to get out a piece of paper and begin your list of 10 things that you're thankful for. Now, you know the goal is to get up to at least 100, and I want to remind you of some important ground rules. Don't make your list of 100 in one day. It's neat to do this as an exercise. It's not that you're just working on an end product. You're, you're growing. You're being grateful. Every day, get out your paper and think of 10 more things today you're thankful for. There'll be things that'll happen throughout your day on one day that, don't ha that doesn't happen on another day. And it'll make you think about those things a little bit differently. And so at the end of 10 days, and by the time Thanksgiving Day rolls around, you'll have at least 100 things on your list. Now, I encourage you to get your family to be doing this. And right after you finish that big Thanksgiving meal and dessert is about to be offered and most people are thinking I'm too full to eat dessert, that's a good time to say, wait a minute. Let's pause right here for a moment and let everybody get their list out. Go around the dinner table. Let people talk about things on their list. Odds are it'll be better than dessert. You can still get dessert after the list, but you'll still say odds are it's probably one of the best things that will happen on Thanksgiving Day. I'd be really surprised if it wasn't for you. I want to encourage you to do that, but this year we're going to do something else as a church family. I think it's a good exercise for us. I think it'll be delightful. I think it'll be healthy for us. 
uh, probably as soon as Wednesday night, we'll have, don't cringe when I say this, we've got a way figured out, okay? We're going to have double-sided tape on the walls throughout the foyer. And we want you to bring your list in. And there's a copy machine in the library because you need to keep your list because you're going to need it on Thanksgiving Day. But we want you to make a copy of your list and we want you to post it. And we want to be able to just have that beautiful exercise to read each other's list and to really be reminded of how blessed we are. Let's make sure that individually and collectively, we're always a people of gratitude. It's impossible to be people of gratitude without contentment. I'd like for you to think about this title of today's lesson, but I'd like to build up to it by reading you an old quote from a fellow named Arthur W. Pink. Discontent, though few appear to realize it, is sinful. A grievous offense against the Most High. It is an impugning of His wisdom, a denial of His goodness, a rising up of my will against His will. We're not studying something this month that is just a, a little exercise that might do you some good. We're talking about something this month that we cannot be what we need to be and we will not have the relationship we are to have with God unless we figure out this beautiful gift that he offers us of contentment. We can reject the gift, we can neglect the gift, or as we talked about last week from Paul, we can learn it. We can become educated about it. We can work on it. We can grow in it. We can mature to the point that we can say, I am much more content this year than I was last year. I'm much more content this decade than I was last decade. And that should be the goal of every one of us as children of God. But notice this question again. Envy of the world or content with God. Which one are you? How many times do we look over at the world and even though many of us would not voice it, deep down inside, we wish we could do what they do. Deep down inside, we look and say, if I wasn't a Christian, I would love to do that. And we start harboring that thought. And before long, we start nurturing that thought. And before long, we're literally lusting after some kind of sinful way of life. Remember, lust just means desire, strong desire. And so when we're desiring something that's sinful, lust is sinful desire. What is envy? Envy in this connotation would be when we look at people in the world and they're doing what we secretly long to do. And we think to ourselves, well, I wish I could be like them. I wish I could do what they do. Look at that. The world gets to do that and have all the fun and it seems like they still come out ahead. Why can't I do those things? Why does God put handcuffs on us? Is God simply trying to take away our happiness? Is he trying to take away our freedom? Is he trying to take away the better way to live? Why is it sometimes that it seems like the world has it so much better? Listen, we're all going to be tempted. It's impossible to live on this earth without being tempted. 
But today I want you to carefully weigh those moments of temptation and see if they have become harbored thoughts of lust. That's when we're going to find ourselves being impossible for us to be content with God. And so what's the answer? I would invite you in the first half of this lesson to walk with me through three different passages where God is warning us, be careful what you love, be careful what you long for. But not just that. I want you to notice that each time he gives a reason. And then what we're going to do in the last part of this lesson is we're going to come back to Hebrews, the text that will continue even tonight. But look with me, if you will, in 1 John, the second chapter, as you're turning there, will you be listening to this? Out of all the things that Jesus tells us to love, he says, I want to tell you something that you have to start with. And you remember Matthew, he taught the first and greatest commandment. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And yet very oftentimes, if we're not careful, what we'll do is start falling in love with the world. Why is it they get to do all of that fun stuff? And so here's what God says about that through John, the Apostle John, 1 John 2 and 15. Do not love the world and the things in the world. So see, that's a direct command that goes against that envy of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him for all that is in the world. Now notice, we're back to that word lust. The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Pause there for a moment. You see what he's saying? God says, I know you. I know your struggles. You're going to look and your flesh is going to start longing for it. Don't fall in love. Your eyes are going to look. And if you don't discipline yourself, you're going to tell yourself over and over, look how good that is. Why can't I do that? I want to do that. And he says, the next thing you know, you're going to go from lust to love. You're going to love the world and just know you can't love the world and love the father both. And so let's continue reading because he's going to give a motive here. He says that is not of the father, but it's of the world. Now look at the motive in verse 17. Here, we don't have to guess. This is what the motive is to not do this. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Listen, I really believe with all of my heart, God could have talked with us about even some temporal blessings. But what I want you to notice over and over is God doesn't do that as he talks about why we should not be envious of the world. Almost every time in scripture that God teaches us not to envy the world, he immediately jumps to the end of time. And so here again, he's telling us not to love the world. And then he says, don't you understand this earth isn't going to last forever? Don't you understand that there is an eternity that we face? And don't you understand the world? And notice this, there's a reason why he does this. He says, not only the world, he says, the lust of it is going to pass away. Do you realize that there is a day coming where no one will think that sexual immorality is a great thing? Isn't that amazing? There will come a day where every soul will say, I wish I'd never known sexual immorality. 
There'll come a day where no one will think lying and gossiping is really a great thing to do against your neighbor. Nobody will think that. Lust will die with the world. No one will long for sinful desire because truth will be revealed in its fullness and everyone will accept it and would not even be able to deny it. One more quote, and we're going to be turning to Proverbs 23 if you want to be turning there. Over 350 years ago, G. Swinnock said, and I'm reading you this quote because I want you and I to be thinking as we study these scriptures, I want us to be thinking about are we living for the immediate? Are we living for this earthly? Or are we living for eternity? Now, obviously the language was a little bit different in 1650, but listen to what is said in this message. Christian, let me ask thee this question. Didst thou give thyself to Christ for temporal or for eternal comforts? Pause there and just answer that in your own mind. Which, which reason did you become a Christian? You thought there's going to be a lot of good social times on earth and you wanted to become a Christian for those social times? Or did you become a Christian for the eternal blessings? Didst thou enter upon religion to save thine estate or thy soul? Oh, why then shouldst thou be so sad when thy eternal happiness is so safe? What's a bad day to you? If something fleshly doesn't go the way it should, if the stock market crashes, what's a bad day to you? Or is a bad day when your soul is not right with God? How do you define what is good and what is bad? For shame. Live like a child of God, an heir of heaven, and let the world know that thy hope and happiness are in a better world, that thou art denied those acorns which thy father giveth to his hogs. Yet thou hast the children's bread and expectest thine inheritance when thou comest to age. Listen, what God is constantly trying to get us to do and what God's people constantly are aware of is that we are only on this earth for a little while. We're only pilgrims traveling through. And the things of the world, even though they can and they are tempting, we discipline ourselves to not rely upon those thoughts and not to harbor and nurture those thoughts because we do not want to become lustful because we do not want that lust to turn into love because we have something and someone so much greater to live for. Proverbs 23 and 17, he gives that very direct command. Proverbs 23 and 17, do not let your heart envy sinners, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day. Now notice what he's laying out there is the idea that you and I can be jealous of the world or we can be zealous for God. That's literally what he's saying. And he says, he's teaching us, don't be envious of the world, be zealous for the Lord. And notice how often God, all the day, even through temptation, see through the temptation and have zeal for God all the day. Now notice the motive. Again, why is he going to say this? 
Notice the motive is not going to be temporal. See verse 18, for surely there is a hereafter and your hope will not be cut off. The proverb writer says, listen, there is something after this life. You are going to exist after the last breath is taken. You are going to exist when the Lord comes again and the earth is burned up and all the temporal things are sifted through. You are going to exist. Do you want to have hope for that day or give up hope? Do not envy the world. Why? They've given up hope. Don't join the ones who have given up hope, but stand apart. Psalm 37, let's look at the command in verse one. Psalm 37 do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. Fret, literally, the root of fret means to warm like a glow. And it is the idea of, of warming in anger, but it is usually anger that is tied to, to uh, jealousy. And so the idea is don't fret against the world. Don't look and grow in anger and think, why do they get to do all of this? Why can't I do those sinful things? And he says, don't fret, don't be envious. And here's the motive, verse two. You know what the motive is gonna be. You already know, you know God's word. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. You know that language in the scripture. That language is always pointing to how brief our life is on this earth. You could go out and you could have all of the joy that the world has. You could have all of the delightful experiences that the world has. You could have all of the fleshly activity that you could engage in. And the fact is, it is short and it is unfulfilling in the eternal picture. Remember, Hebrews 11th chapter made it clear. You can enjoy sin for a season, but what you can't do is enjoy sin for an eternity. So he says, don't envy. Don't envy people that are living on a short journey with a horrible destination. What's our response? Verse three, four, and five. Trust in the Lord. Delight yourself also in the Lord and commit your way to the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? Trust is very similar to the idea of contentment. In other words, I trust God. He is enduring. He'll take care of me. I will put my life in his hands. I trust him. And so we can say, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. When we do that, we are content and we can find delight with the Lord. Notice, someone who is not finding this, they're looking over in the world and they're discontent with God because they believe the world has it better off. And notice what he says here. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Notice that. Delight in the Lord. You have desires of your heart. What if you don't delight in the Lord? I delight in the world. God says, well, you can go out there and you can have the desire of your heart out there too. But if you want to find your delight in the Lord, you can stay here and I will fulfill you. If you think the world is where you're going to find your fulfillment, you go out there and you try to find your delight out there. But the problem is there's a day coming and the end of time. And so what we want to do in verse five is commit our ways to the Lord. That's depositing ourselves in the way of the Lord. Why would we do that? I trust the Lord. Why would we do that? I delight in the ways of the Lord. I'm going to deposit my life in the ways of the Lord. Will I be tempted? Yes, you and I will be tempted. Do we have to harbor those temptations? Absolutely not. 
Why would we not harbor them? Because we see through the lies of Satan and we realize that what God offers is delightful. What God offers is wonderful. What God offers, we would not want to pass up. Harbored thoughts have power. If you believe them, they become a part of your heart. What lingers in your heart begins to form your convictions. Remember, your convictions produce your conduct. Harbored thoughts in the heart become convictions that form what we say and do throughout our days. We must be careful what we long for. You probably don't need this. But just in case, I want to illustrate this and we're going to go back to our text of Hebrews 12 and then we'll be closing this lesson out. I want you to imagine that you're on a road trip. 12-hour road trip. And along the way were just wonderful stops of all kind of amusements and delightful activities And this trip is offered to you. You get to make a decision if you're going to take it. But you know, every trip has a destination, a point of arrival. And so naturally, you're not just going on this trip for all the stops along the way. You want to know, where does this lead? Because after all, these stops along the way have a great appeal to them. They appeal to the lust of our eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. I can be as great as God. And someone says, oh, you, you probably don't want to know the destination. Yes, I do. I've learned in life that I make my biggest mistakes when I make short-term decisions. Highlight that in your mind. We make our biggest mistakes when we make short-term decisions. Yes, if I'm going to go on this road trip with you, I want to know the destination. I am not making any more short-term decisions in my mind. Every decision for me is going to be long-term. He says, well, if I must tell you, the destination is hell. This, it will end at the gates into hell. You'll see grown men gritting their teeth and groaning like babies. You'll see people in flames and torment. You will see a place where the absence of God's blessings exists. We've never seen anything like that on earth. We are surrounded today, no matter if we're heathens or children of God, we are surrounded with God's blessings. We see sunrises and sunsets. We see the soft skin of a baby. We see the color on a peacock. We see all of these blessings of God. Now you go to a place where there's not one blessing of God. Or someone says, there's another trip over here if you don't like that one. Now this trip is a little bit more difficult. The trip, as a matter of fact, the one who made this way said that the way was difficult. Well, why would I want this difficult way when over there you can do anything you want? Well, where's this one leading? Oh, the destination of this one. The destination of this trip is amazing. Along the way are some great things. Along the way is a, a family that loves you. Along the way are wonderful opportunities to be used and find your purpose in life. Along the way are wonderful opportunities to worship the high and almighty God. 
along the way is also the opportunity to make a difference in other people's life. There's some great things along the way. But listen, at the end of this one, at the end of this one, the heavenly father will welcome you in. The son will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You will enter into a place where only the hand of God has created. You haven't seen a place where only God's hand has created. You lived on an earth that's a mixture of God's hand and man's hand. It's going to be amazing. Over and over in the scriptures, the teaching is don't be envious of the world. Because when you're envying the world, what you're doing is you're envying the journey to hell. And when we love God, we're loving the one who leads us to the eternal blessings. So how does this work? Let's go back to our text. It's already been capably read. We're in Hebrews, the 13th chapter. Tonight, we're going to skip some slides. Tonight, we're going to come back and we're going to look at the 12th and the 13th chapter. And I ask you to hang on to this memory. You remember, we've been studying about the fact that anytime God wants to drive home the point of contentment, he's going to go back to the end of time or he's going to move forward to the end of time. Tonight, when we come together, we're going to look at Hebrews, the 12th chapter, beginning at verse 25. And that's exactly what he does. He says, let's talk about the end of time. Let's talk about God who is a consuming fire. Let's talk about God who can shake everything down. And when he gets through sifting, the eternal things remain and the temporal things are destroyed. Which one do you want to be? And that's what he does in the 12th chapter, 25 through 29. And then he comes down to the 13th chapter and he talks about relationships, your relationship with your brothers and sisters in Christ, your relationship with strangers, your relationship even with those who are your brothers and sisters in Christ in verse three who are struggling, your sexual relationships in verse four. And then he says in verse five, and here's what we close with today. Look at this, 13th chapter in verse five, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what men can do to me. Do you see what he's doing at the beginning of verse five where he's saying, okay, we can have this covetous relationship where we trust in money and in possessions. Or we can have this relationship where we are content with such we have and pause there. What is the such we have? And so he finishes this verse and the next verse to say, oh, well, the reason you can be content is with the such you have is God. Will money be your God? Covetousness. Or will you allow the one who is the giver of all good gifts to be your God? Which one are you going to trust? Listen, you and I can have a relationship with money where it becomes our God, or you and I can use money as a tool as we serve the one who is the almighty God. You know, a lot of people's earth was shaken in 2009 whenever they had a lot of trust. You see, anytime we start trusting in money, it becomes our God. And they trusted that they had enough to retire on. And they trusted it so much they slept good at night. And they trusted it so much that they based their success as a person. Look at me. Look how much I built up to retire. 2009 came and a big portion of it was gone. Their world was shaking. And they realized you can't trust money. 
That's right. Money makes a horrible God. Look, it doesn't matter how much you have of money or how little you have of money. Money makes a horrible God. But most people in America find a great portion of their trust in their job and in their money and in their possessions. We need to be shaken from time to time. We need to be reminded money's just a tool. It's a tool we use to serve our God. Now let's pause here for a moment and remind all of us. For a lot of people that are our neighbors, He is not their God. Money is their God. Now who are we going to be? Covetous or content with God? Why should I be content with God? Number one, he said, you can be content with God because he will never leave you. I want you to think about a child that is afraid. Their father may only be in the next room. Their father may just be on the other side of town at work, but they're afraid because their father is not right there right then. You know what? We can serve God and we can have a wonderful life of contentment because God will never leave us. God doesn't have to take a break to get away from us. He doesn't have to go do something. God is always present. Not only is he always there, he'll never leave us. He will never forsake us. Paul was getting ready to die death of execution. And you remember he begged Timothy to come to him, 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, and verse 9 and 10. You know why? One reason he wanted Timothy to come so much? Because he said, Demas has forsaken me. The very same word, Demas has forsaken me. He says, my Lord will never forsake me, the Hebrew writer said. Listen, 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, Paul was being persecuted and he said, I am persecuted, but not forsaken. He knew that he could go through difficult, painful, challenging times and God hadn't left him. God was walking with him through those times. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. God is faithful. And notice in that next verse, he says, God is my helper. He's quoting Psalm 118 in verse 6. And in that particular psalm, he says, God is on my side. Please get this. As a child of God, if you think God never takes his eyes off of you because he's just waiting to see you sin so he can slam you, you've got the wrong picture of God. As a child of God, God is looking for every reason for the blood of His Son to cleanse you of His sins. And the reason He's keeping His eyes on you is because He's made a promise to you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. He's keeping His eyes on you because He says, I'm not guessing on this and you didn't say it. He says, I am not going to take my eyes off you because I want to be your helper. God wants to help us through every day in every situation, and that's why he'll not leave his children. Brethren, if we can't be content with the almighty God saying, I'll help you, and I won't ever be unavailable, I will help you. I will be your helper. And with that in mind, we don't have to fear. With that in mind, what could man do to us? Man couldn't do anything that would tear us away from God. This morning, I beg you to look carefully into your heart. And instead of looking at the world in envy 
do like Jesus. Look at the world and shed a tear because you know what their end is going to be. And look at the Lord with great contentment. He's my helper. He's the one who's loved me more than anyone has ever loved me. And I want to spend an eternity with Him. This morning, if we can help you find your greatest helper, your creator, your savior, we would love to help you with that. If you're ready to be immersed in a